0: All right, so welcome back for another episode of Last Ones at the Bar. Uh, We're going to continue where we left off yesterday, and today we're going to discuss all of the fights that were on the undercard of the fight card on the zone, and then the other ones that was on, I believe, ESPN and also PBC Showtime. All right, so we're going to kick things off uh, on that undercard fight that took place on the zone between Callum smith he was back in the action he was facing matthew uh, botterley danny what did you think about Callum smith yesterday
1: well you know this was a wbc eliminator this is also Callum smith's second fight at light heavy and he's been working with buddy mcgurt it's also his first southpaw opponent since john ryder in 2019 now overall i thought he came out patient in the first he did well with picking his spots did well with his head movement, making Balderleek miss. He did find some success early with the overhand right. I thought that Balderleek came out a little bit nervous, but he loosened up and began to trade in the second. But Smith just didn't seem rattled at all. Now, between the second and the third, you know, they're showing the corners, and Buddy McGirt called for more body punching, which I think ultimately won Callum Smith the third. They both had success, but I thought that Smith just got more successful shots off to the body. And then in the fourth, it paid off a little bit more because Smith clipped him early with a counter lead hook and knocked him down, and he ultimately finished him with the body hook and head hook combo. Now, when you ask what I think, overall, I was impressed. I was also very impressed by McGirt's coaching of him and his ability to listen and implement. I think that was the right move, getting him in his corner. And... You know, in terms of where he goes from here, he said he wants to fight biev And he's in line for that since this was an eliminator. The thing is, Better Biev was just injured and probably won't be fighting Yard until sometime in spring of 2023. Now, assuming that happens and possibly he unifies against Bivo later that year, Smith's kind of gonna have to bide his time until maybe 2024. But I do think that he'll be able to keep himself aligned for a title shot, even if it isn't better. Bf, the version of him that I saw on Saturday, I will put him around third, maybe fourth in the division behind better Biev, Bivol and Zerto. But it was a good showing for him. Uh, his first knockout against Castillo at light heavy was a devastating one in the second round, and this one was pretty devastating in the fourth. And so. He's shown that he's been able to listen well and adjust well in fight. And he just looks more strong and powerful and less drained at, at light heavy. So good showing for him. Yeah, either of you guys have anything else to say about this one? No, I took a main
0: nap during this fight. You know what I mean? I was busy. I saw, I looked up, I saw Matthew Botterleek. And I said, man, I'm tired of seeing Calvin Smith fight these type of dudes, man. Like, come on, man. Like. Can I just see you fight against somebody that um, I think that's a 50-50 fight or 65-35 at the very least? But, you know, you can beat the thing on uh, Liams and Matthews and, you know, those type of dudes that be fighting on those U.K. cards. You know what I'm saying? You're more than capable of doing that. I know that. Then you're going to put you in a situation where you're going to fight against one of the top guys. a Canelo caliber or a better bee, and they're gonna put them paws on you. So I just want to see him for at least somebody that's dangerous. Like maybe even somebody like a uh like a John Pascal or something like that. That's all just let me see that Calvin Smith. And that's all I have.
1: Yeah I think his next fight is gonna be more aligned with that. I get what they were doing. Maybe they waited a fight too long to do it, but I, I get what they were doing, put him in against a Southpaw like that. But you know, I I I get it. You yeah. got anything, Phil? No, sir. Cool? Moving right along then. We had a heavyweight clash before the heavyweight clash. We had Philip Hergovich against Jelly Zhang. Will, what'd you think of that?
0: Yeah, good fight, man. And I was it was a highly anticipated fight uh for me because I, I peeped out. I already knew about Philip Hergovich. You know, Hergovich, some people was consider him the boogeyman of the division because a lot of people were not willing to step up and face him. This was an eliminator for the IBF. But Jelly John was like, you know, I'll step up and fight. So when I saw the name, I was like, oh, Herkovich is fighting another one of those guys that he's going to pummel. But then when I started looking at the highlights, I said, whoa, hold up now. Jelly John, he, he got some skills. Very big, strong, especially the first like five, six rounds. Very dangerous. Power in both hands very you know he's kind of smooth a little bit with his, his his punch selection and things like that he does things really precise you know not that he's like his, his movements are quick or anything like that i'm just saying like his skills he has the olympic pedigree won a silver medal in 2008 fought anthony joshua in the amateur. so he really you know knows his way around the square circle and then philip Herbovich on the other end I know that I saw some footage of him and Deontay Wilder going at it where he was looking pretty good and that scrap that they had, you know, inspiring. And then also seeing him against Joe Joyce in the past in the World Series of Boxing where he put on a very good performance, very close decision that he lost against Joe Joyce. And so, you know, knowing him and, and seeing him fight in the pros, I knew that this would be a good scrap. Now, going into the fight, what I was thinking is I thought that John would either be up or it'll be close going into the fifth sixth round and and then I thought Herkovich that's where the separation would come in at because Zhang looked so all his fights he looks impressive but he had one particular spell where he just was zapped of all of his energy against Forrest Jerry Forrest so in that fight if you get a chance if you haven't seen it his, his stamina just zaps. It just goes downhill after round five. And he, he was pummeling Jerry Forrest the first five rounds, maybe knocked him down like three, four times. But he was so fatigued that by the time the fight was over with, he barely made it to the end of the fight and it was scored a draw. So just imagine how fatigued he had to have been and how much many of the rounds he must have lost in order for a fight where you knock the guy down three four times and almost had him out of there that he ended up only getting a draw in that fight. So that's what had me thinking. I said, well, Herkovich in this fight, he's going to be able to, you know, take him out. He'll be able to withstand what Zong is able to do because I saw him do it against Joe Joyce years ago. But what I didn't factor into this fight, fellas, is the fact that Herkovich had only been eight rounds once in his career. And then the other thing I didn't factor in was that I didn't know he was going to be fighting on the back foot as much as he did in this fight. So in a fight, John, um dropped Herkovich in the first round. Herkovich had a really good first round up until like the last maybe 10, 15 seconds that he got dropped. It could have been really like a push down, but they call it a knockdown after a punch and then Zong uh, kind of pushed him down a little bit. Herkovich came out in the second. He was It was a pretty strong round for him. And then going into the third, John, I thought that he intentionally headbutted Herkovich in order to kind of slow down some of the momentum that he had. And that was a good tactic that he used, because it certainly did. And then, like I say, Zong being that skilled big man, he got a lot of power in his fist. He was hurting Herkovich a lot in this fight. He was the more crisper puncher where Herkovich landed more punches, you know, all together. But at the end of the day, I would have definitely rather have been zoned, you know, when it came came to um, who uh, sustained the most punishment, you know. Now, in the middle part of the fight, Herkovich, and even entering the fight. So I was heading, I had to go get my clothes from the cleaners, I had to go to Trader Joe and all of that type of stuff. So I had to go ahead and go on the app the zone. But when I go upstairs um, or downstairs, it, it's a garage downstairs. So when I go down there, I don't have that much perception. So I'm trying to get out to my car and get out of the garage so I can get out you know, and get some reception. By the time I made out, he had been dropped already. But when I was looking at how he was entering the ring, he just looked like he halfway didn't want to be there. And I'm like, dang, his body language sucks. And then in the middle part of the fight, he looked really despondent. And he looked like he was on a verge sometimes of quitting. And I'm like, but it was just that Zong, sometimes he would get, right, right when it looks like Herkovich is about to quit or get knocked out, the bell ring, or Zong just didn't have that. He didn't land an extra punch, maybe because he was too fatigued. So he would get out of those moments, but then he'll get the pep talk by McGurta or whoever that was that was in his corner or, no, Ronnie Shields. So Ronnie Shields would give him a real good pep talk, and then he will come out and perform better the next round. It was close going down the stretch. Both guys were exhausted. Um, but Herkovich, he basically landed more punches. But like I said, Zahn landed the more uh, cleaner shots. And so all in all, when you look at the punch stats, you had Herkovich, he landed 208 to Zahn's 150, 154 and he threw 705, as Herkovich, at 30%. Zong landed the more powerful shot, but he also was much more accurate where he landed 39% of his shot. So out of the 154 punches he landed, that was out of 395. Um, and then Herkovich landed 40 jabs to Zong's nine jabs. Fight could have went either way. I would like that for it to have been a draw so that they would have to do it again. But it'll be tough to score like that fight because who do you give it to? Do you give it to the guy who's just more active or do you give it to the guy who's more precise, you know, and landing the heavier shots? Good fight, kind of sloppy at times. But um, and the other thing is Hergovich is gonna be the number one contender in the IBF. And then Zong, he's still somebody that you still wanna see because he performed very well yesterday. And A guy like maybe Chisora may be willing to go over there and get that payday because you can go um, to Macau. You know, it's a lot of money out there in China, you know, to to, to get a payday against him. But at the same time, you are putting yourself in serious jeopardy because that man got some hands, especially in the first half of the fight. But good job of both guys. Herkovich, you know, going through that adversity and still able to make it all 12 and get the victory. And then Zong just looking, you know, like Zong, you know, very impressive fight. You guys have anything on that?
1: I don't have much. I, I agree that it was sort of a pick em. I personally had it 114, 113 in Zhang's favor, I believe. Um, I think that knockdown made the difference. I didn't like his body language either, Hergovich and several of those different spots. And I also didn't understand his plan to take Zhang into deep waters, which was made sense probably because of that forest fight, but it didn't make sense because he had never been in deep waters himself. So how do you know that you can be in deep waters? But you know, worked out for him and, you know, I thought it was a good fight. Yeah, the other thing
0: too, in addition to what you said, I don't know if he knew that he was going to be fighting on the back foot as much as he was fighting. And so that also contributed to his stamina issues that he had because it's harder to be boxing and moving away from somebody than to actually be applying the pressure to the other person. True.
2: Yeah, and I think that was somewhat Erkovich fought to because John was was basically was moving forward, and, and he was definitely a intimidating presence with his uh, punching power. But at at times, I think Erkovich uh, was moving too much away from John. And one thing I didn't like that John was doing or or didn't do is he is he wasn't effectively cutting the ring off. It it was like Erkovich was just going right around him, being the matador. Uh, John was basically the bull, and the and the bull kept just coming, coming, coming. Um, and, and John was really counting on chopping that tree down. And at times, it, it, you know, when you look at, it, like I said, the body language of Urkovic, it looked like he was, he was pretty successful. Um, but I think had he cut the ring off uh, more successfully, I think it would have fared better for him. But this was a hard fight to score, because yeah, what do you like, the guy that's uh, throwing, you know, harder punches or the one that had the activity, which was Urkovic, who had the activity and even to some degree, he, he seemed more skilled. It's just that his body language. when they ask you what fighter you, really, you would want to be after a round, his body language signal was somebody you didn't want to be. He seemed like, you know, he was kind of uncomfortable in spots, but, you know, it, it was a good fight that he, he pulled off.
0: Also on Saturday, you had the main event of Omar Figueroa taking on late replacement Sergey Lipinets, uh in a bout that took place down there in Florida. What did you guys think about that fight?
2: Oh, man. I, th- I think Figueroa left off himself in that ring in probably the first minute or minute and a half. I mean, he came out going straight at Lipnitz, you know, just just coming at him. And, and I don't know if he wasn't prepared for what Lipnitz was going to do, but Lipnitz just started, you know, finding pretty hard with, with going to the body, going to the head. And it wasn't like Lipnitz was throwing jazz or anything like that. He was throwing some hard just hooks. Just, I mean... The punches was hurting me, and I was just watching it. And uh, Lipis put Figueroa down in the second round with a, a, a weird right hand, which it was funny because it landed on the way Figueroa was, was positioned. It landed on the right side of Figueroa's head, you know, and it put him down. Man, and, and it, it was a hard shot that I saw. But Figueroa got up, but, I, but then I knew that this fight is not going to be good for Figueroa. It's, it's not going to be good. But it was a lot of inside work. From, from both fighters uh most of the way after that after that point. Uh, but about about the fifth round, I think uh Lipniss started snapping Figueroa's head back. And he was laying these these these, sh- these right hands that were just vicious. And I was just like, this fight, even though it, it was kind of like it, 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 it was it, it was more the responses to those punches too that 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 we saw bouncing off Figueroa's head. I, I just knew that it wasn't gonna fare well for him. I mean, Lippin's did a good job going to the body and going to the head, uh, and there were just some vicious punches. And, and he was just, and Figueroa just didn't have it, you know, even defensively, he just didn't have it in him. He was just open to be hit and just there to be hit. Figueroa was trying to, you know, hang in there with, with Lippin's, but Lippin's just going to that body that was pan dividends, just going to that head up top. And, and Figueroa just said that's enough about the eighth round and just packed it in. And really... Seeing how how this defeat went, he doesn't know what he's he think he, he's gonna he pretty much probably gonna hang it up. That's probably it for him. And I, and I didn't think this fight look <laughs> looked good this fight, and really hadn't lost his last what three fights. So I mean, either he, either he needs to pack it up or find a way to to reinvent himself. But I would recommend the former for him.
0: Shout out to. Omar Figueroa, man, he came out there looking like he hadn't lifted a weight since he was in diapers. You understand what I'm saying? That his physique just looked crazy. I'm like, man, you've been training? Like, have you done any, any type of resistance work, sir? You know, he looked like uh, what is it, Doug Botterby? You know, a, a Night at the Roxbury? You know, played by Chris Catton on uh, uh, Saturday Night Live. Like, he looked like that character. You know. But shout out to Fig, man. He, he came in there, tried to do the best he could. He was very game. He was attempting to apply constant pressure to Lippiness on the ropes. And that man worked out well if he was fighting Broner because Broner typically has a low offensive output. But against lipness, it was a recipe for disaster. Lippiness was covering up well. And any little space that was available, he used that to sit down on some heavy, heavy punches. And that heavy right hand dropped Fig in the second. And then after that, it was just a matter of time. You know, eventually, Figueroa's corner called a halt to it. Um, After a rough eighth round, the Lippinets landed 172 punches to Figueroa's 44. Figueroa decided to call it a career. So, you know, I think the answer to the question is where he goes from here is he said it. And hopefully he'll stick to his words because it didn't look like his career is the trajectory of it is in the wrong direction. You know what I mean? After those pounds that he took, the good thing is is that seems like mentally he's back solid. You know, he was diagnosed with a lot of uh, different mental health problems. Uh, One of them was uh, he has bipolar uh, issues. He also was diagnosed with PTSD. Now, that's interesting within itself, because I think that if we're going to be honest, that a lot of black people would have PTSD based on what the experience is of being in the United States. You know what I mean? Especially throughout history. You know what I mean? So that's, that's interesting. But shout out to him for seeking out the help, getting the help that he needs. And he's on the right path outside of the sport of boxing. But inside the sport. Yeah, it's, it's time to let him go. Now, last thing I'm going to say is this, is that I think Adrian Broner, he should be upset with himself because based on what how Figueroa looked yesterday, they were basically giving him a layup, you know. But somehow, some way, A.B. found a way to lose in a win-win situation. But shout out to Sergey lipinets He looks great at 140. Uh, very solid, very sturdy, very powerful, very compact. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see where he goes from here as well.
1: I don't have much to add. Other than what you guys said, um, I like Figueroa as a person, you know, um, I didn't like the fight for him going into it. I thought that maybe one could argue that if he would have fought a B, his activity would have got the win for him. But the is just too aggressive and Figueroa's defense was just too leaky. You know, even when he was finding success in those early rounds, it just wasn't do anything to stop yet from coming forward and landing on his own, you know. And so he said what he was gonna do, and I'm glad that's what he's gonna do, and I'm glad he's gonna go out with his faculties intact. And I I wish him best in the future. That's all I got, though. Uh, you guys have anything? Only other thing I'm <laughs> saying
0: is this: they absolutely gave him the wrong guy to come back with as far as a late replacement. It would have been better for them to find him somebody else that is conducive to the style that he has. That's similar to Broner in the sense that they have low punch output. That was the worst possible style that you can come back to. It's against a guy who wants you to come to him and then also can crack like he can and as strong as he is. Yeah. So I just think that they, they didn't do him any favors either. Maybe they were trying to do put him in that situation because they want to see him retire, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah. I got- <laughs> Yeah. So to your point, Will, Omar Figueroa, that's an example of, he immediately had, you know, some mental health issues and somehow he found a way to get that ring. And the way he looked, (laughs) you know, his pudge and all that and looking half trained, I guess he was just trying to lose that weight and he did it. And that's the result of it. You know what I'm saying? That's the result of getting the ring and trying to train for a fight, trying to fight your way back and you deal with mental health issues. Now, granted, it was it was, a, it was a, a level playing field with Adrian Broner because Broner's doing the same thing, probably in weight issues also. Because they, I heard he was, you know, partying and, and probably having trouble making weight. So it was kind of a fair shot, you know. So fair play, but that's the result of it.
0: Shout out to Fig, man. All right, moving right along, we also had on the undercard of the Omar Figueroa and Sergey Lipinets uh, fight was Alberto Poyo. He took on Border John uh Danny, I know that you wanted to talk about that one. Uh, what did you think about that fight?
1: Yeah, this was for the WBA Super Lightweight Championship that was vacated by Josh Taylor. So some big implications here, especially with, you know, some of those guys from lightweight moving up to super lightweight. Now, Pueyo, he has a one and a half inch height advantage and a three inch reach advantage and I thought that he used it well early into the fight. He was very sharp and he kept Akhmadav at distance. Like every time Akhmadav tried to get inside, he would get countered. And so, you know, just watching those first few rounds, I'm like, he's gonna have to figure out how to get inside. But round four, Akhmadav was just so consistent with his aggression, he finally started getting inside and he got some solid work to the body done. Now about round six, Pueyo was able to figure it out and started to get those counters off again. He was getting busy, but Akhmadov just wouldn't stop coming forward, you know? And from there, it was just sort of a pick and fight. It was like, did you want to see Pueyo throwing off the back foot, or did you want to see Akhmadov come forward and unleash on him? I personally scored at 115, 113, Akhmadov, but the judges ruled in favor of Pueyo. Now, the compu box numbers. Pueyo landed 191 out of 825 thrown, and Akhmadav landed 207 out of 764. As you can see, if you watch the fight, it was a pretty close fight, but I personally felt Akhmadav should have won. I felt kind of bad for him because this loss and then his first loss was against Mario Barrios, and I felt like he got the short end of the stick in that one as well. And, you know, I just thought the odds were in his favor after watching this one too. But you know, going back to the implications, we are now in a position where we have Puyo at number one. And then for number three, and going down in WBA for super lightweight, you have Ismael Barroso, O'Hara Davies, Sando Martin, who beat Mikey Garcia last year, Regis Progray, who was about to fight for another fight. And so I'm not sure if they're gonna give him any kind of mandatory or if they're gonna let him fight whoever, but. Um, either way congrats to Pueyo I'm not gonna say he didn't deserve it because he fought very well and fought hard I just felt bad for Akmadov. that's all any of you guys have anything to add to that or are you good pretty good um, on, on, on that
0: I, I didn't um, necessarily I, I watched I halfway watched and the reason is, is this is that to me like fights like this it reminds me of guys who hold belts they're, they're title holders, but they're not world championship caliber guys. And, and I worry with so many belts being out there that you are going to have this happen more and more in the future. And it has happened previously. Like when I look at Terrence Crawford's resume, I see a lot of guys that he, like Dierry Jean or somebody like that, that had a belt at 140 who really wasn't that good of a fighter, you know, shout out to Derry John, but I'm just saying, like, as far as like a real top, you want a person who has a belt to be world-class championship level type of fighter. I don't see those guys as being that. And that's the reason why, you know, although I'm talking about it, I'm just saying in general, I don't like to give credence to those type of championship bouts not to say anything bad about those guys and I want those guys to position themselves to actually get a title against or title opportunity against somebody who's world championship caliber. but I don't think those two guys should be fighting for a belt just based on the skills that they have at this particular time not that they can't get there but you just kind of dilute what it is to be a champion when you allow those type of fighters to hold belts and that's happening too often in the sport box.
1: Yeah, I do agree. That's more so on WBA and their ranking system, because, you know, before Regis Progre had that belt and then Josh Taylor won it from him. And so, you know, even though I just named off the list of a few guys, I'm not super familiar with those guys. And so whoever is even in line for that title shot it's just going to be interesting until they move one of those, you know, more well-known fighters like a Gary Antoine Russell, maybe further up that list to compete for that belt. But I I definitely feel you. Yeah,
0: I think Antoine's going to smoke one of them dudes.
2: Yeah. Also on the PBC card, we had battle for the super featherweight WBA title uh, between Roger Gutierrez versus Hector Garcia. Hey, Danny, what were your thoughts on it?
1: This was for Gutierrez' WBA belt. And Garcia, some of you guys may remember him because... He got the title shot by upsetting Chris Colbert earlier this year. So he came in as a a big underdog coming into the Chris Colbert fight, but he actually came into this one as a three to one favorite. Now, to be real with you, I didn't feel like he did anything amazing, but overall he just outworked Gutierrez. Gutierrez didn't have much for him. Even in moments where Gutierrez got the better of exchanges, he just made it look better because he would find a way to produce action during that given round to kind of, offset what Gutierrez was doing I won't give a round-by-round round breakdown of this but the only rounds that I thought Gutierrez clearly won were you could have given him the edge in the first because the first was just so close it was kind of a filling out round but the 10th and the 12th were the only ones that I felt like he clearly won now the judges they scored at 118 110 and then two scored at 117 111 in favor of Hector Garcia According to the box, Garcia landed 156 out of 587 thrown. Gutierrez landed 116 out of 531. And so he won that belt. And actually, both him and Pueyo, both of them are Dominicans. So it was a good night for the DR because both of them are champions. And I think Pueyo was actually the first Dominican in history to win a belt at 140, a world title. And so going back to 130... The three champs of that division are Hector Garcia, Joe Cordina, and Shakur Stevenson. So the interesting thing is that all three of them fight on different channels. Cordina fights on the zone. As you can see, Garcia fought on Showtime and Shakur fought on top rank slash ESPN. So I don't know if any of them are going to be even in the position to unify. Shakur has a fight lined up already against Casasiao, and so... I don't know what's going to happen with the 130-pound division in terms of any unification, but we'll see. Do you guys have anything?
2: No, I don't have much. Just, uh, props to Hector Garcia. Uh, it, it was a pretty decent performance. I think you just looking at him and, and Guterres in the ring, he seemed like he was just a step ahead in, in skill and class when he probably shouldn't have been. But he looked like he was. You know, He used his jab, he used his footwork. He was keeping Guterres at bay. For probably uh, most of the fight till probably the second half where Gutierrez finally woke up probably, I think in the, in the later rounds, I think about the 10th round, he woke up a little bit, you know, but shout out to Hector Garcia. It was, it was a great performance.
1: Yeah, man. It was a good year for him. Cause if I recall correctly, I think that Cobra was supposed to just fight Gutierrez outright, but Gutierrez, I don't know if he caught COVID or he, but he pulled out of the fight late. And so Good on Garcia. But going into the last fight of the night, we're going to switch over to that top-ranked card. We had Emmanuel Navarrete against Eduardo Baez. He defended his championship at 126. Navarrete did. What did you guys think of that fight?
2: Emmanuel Navarrete, you know, coming off his win over Joak Gonzalez, coming to his fight against Edward Baez. Navarrete just looked kind of like he just didn't train. He looked kind of horrible. See seemed kind of flat. I mean, he was missing shots wide. Uh, the volume we saw against Gonzalez and uh, Isaac Dogbe, it wasn't really there in this fight. And Baez, to his credit, he was very kind of awkward. He was using these awkward movements that was kind of, you know, making Navarrete really work to get into to range, the fight. And Navarrete just looked like he just wasn't there um, most of the fight. Uh, the sixth round, he put Baez down with a left hook to the body, where Baez, I thought he was going to get up, it, it didn't seem like the, the, the punch that uh, Niko Ali Walsh earlier that night used his this opponent where he hit, hit him right in the body. And then I think it was, a, a, it was another body shot on one of the cards that I thought was very, very impressive. It was a one-two and a one-two. And this fight wasn't really really it. Bias, I thought he was going to get up. He did not. And, and what concerned me is Navarrete, a shot like that is not going to bail you out all the time. If I, if I was losing a fight like that, it would be concerning to me as a, on a championship level to someone like Eduardo uh, Baez. I thought it was a uh, very, very flat performance, but at least to Navarrete, Navarrete's credit, I didn't hear any excuses that he made. So that part is good, but I didn't like his performance.
1: Did you have anything on that, Will? Just thing, and he won't, but he needs
0: to start fighting people, like the top guys. I need to see Navarrete against, even though, like I said, you won't see it because top rank typically doesn't do it, where, they're going to have them fight guys on their side. They may wait till Shakur moves up. They may feed him to Shakur. But I just want to see, like, th- this is, to me, that's the reason why I didn't chime in on the last topic. A lot of these fights, not that they're meaningless. I think this fight was meaningless. I don't think that it does anything for Navarrete either way. He came in um, during the weigh-in. He looked like he needs either to move up or he didn't train well for this fight. He could barely like he was hyperventilating. Why well, to do that to fight that guy? Like it just didn't make any sense to me, you know. But saying all that to say, I want to see this dude finally start mixing it up. Get, you know, unify the belts or something, man. We've seen you beat these type of dudes already. Great vargas. I wouldn't even mind saying like a max side. Now I know they're on the other side, and that's what is so frustrating about the sport of boxing, is that it's like you can't, you you already know that it's less likely that you're gonna see some of these balls or oh, this dude fights on the zone. Mauricio Lara, like I wouldn't mind saying that. I wouldn't mind saying that Josh Warrington, somebody where you mix it up against the upper echelon top level guys, those are the fighters who should be fighting for those belts and things like that. Not no dang on um Gutierrez against Garcia. Like that's not those dudes are the lowest level champions that you possibly have. I'm not taking a dump on those guys. I'm just saying that they are running the sport. All they're doing is having them available for the next guy that they want really to have that belt. They're just holding it. And what's the thing that makes it even more frustrating is that what a guy could do is that seems like a huge accomplishment for some who you will say, oh, man, he had the belt at this weight class. Then he moved up because you fought and you picked a guy that caliber who has the belt they need to eliminate that sort of thing where once you get a belt, it should be a certain level caliber guy who has that belt. Now, that guy who has the belt that you defeated, you might upset a guy who's the world championship level, but you have to go through him in order to get that trinket. But, you know, again, he didn't look good in the fight. You're right, Vail. But at the same time, I just think it was a waste of time. You know what I mean? I hate to, you know, maybe, you know, as I get older, And the more I do stuff, I just get grumpier and grumpier, you know what I mean, after a certain period of time, you know, as old men do, you know, maybe that's what it is. But it's frustrating. And even before, you know, and I didn't get my nap today, you understand? But even before, when I'm looking at the listing of things that we were going to discuss, that was still already something that was frustrating to even think about and to consider talking about because it was a meaningless fight in my eyes. But that, you know, outside of that, you know, it was a good week of boxing. You know what I'm saying? You guys have anything else on that?
2: You like the grumpy cat, man? Hey, 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 hey. never retay, man. Shame on you for making Will miss hours of sleep, man. That, that, that ain't cool.
0: Yeah, for no reason. Mm-hmm. Now, last thing that we're gonna discuss, man, you got a pretty interesting crossroads fight that's gonna take place August 27th between two guys who are in need of a victory, and that's my main man out of Puerto Rico, Jose Pedraza, he'll be taking on a gentleman from Akira, Ghana, and that's Richard Comey. Who do you guys like in that matchup?
2: Man, this fight, when I, whenever I choose one, then I'll be like, hmm, because originally I, I was like Richard Comey, I, I chose Richard Comey just based off him being, you know, because they're kind of on the same level, but Richard Comey is naturally the bigger man, even though Pedraza spent more time at 140, Comey, you know, he he's a he was a big 135 pounder who just moved up to 140. Pedraza, I think, fought at 130 at one point. So I think Kome is a lot naturally bigger as far as you know length and, and height and even experience fighting those bigger guys. But Pedraza, he looks it's weird because he looks more sturdy, you know, at 140 than he did at 130. He 135 and he's fighting Lomachenko and in his fight with uh Tank Davis. Actually, that win over Pedraza. Uh, is looking better every day for for Tank. Because at the time, it was just like, uh, he won his first title. But Pedraza, even in his losses against uh, Zapata, he he looked pretty sturdier. Um, he looked stronger. And in Comey, uh, I remember when Comey fought uh, Robert Easter Jr. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. He likes to bang. He likes to do all these things. But eventually, he's going to get stopped. And he did get stopped against uh, Tiafuello Lopez. And he came back, I think it was against... Uh, was it Jackson Mariners they came back against and won? And I, I thought that was a good confidence-building uh, performance for him. So this fight is hard to pick, but I, I think Komei is going to pull this one out. That's what my gut tells me. Even though my brain tells me Pedraza, my gut says Komei, and I'm going with my gut.
0: Okay. So you got Jose Pedraza. He's 29-4 with 14 KOs. Uh, they call him Sniper. He's 33 years of age. He's 5'8", 70 in inch reach. You got uh, Colme, he's 5'8 as well, slightly uh, longer reach of 71. They call him RC. He's 35 years of age and he has a record of 34 30, four losses, 27 KOs. This is gonna be a good matchup because you got the boxer and the puncher. Pedraza, he's performed well at 140, although his record is 3 and 2. But like I say, despite that, I think that he's looked Pretty, pretty good. You know, he he had a close fight with Jose Ramirez. Some people said that that could have been a draw in his last outing. Where Coleman, although he looked good in his comeback fight against Jackson Mariners, he kind of got pummeled against Vasile Lomachenko in his last bout. And he's coming off an eight, nine-month layoff. So that could play a factor. I think that it will. As far as the skills are concerned, I think that Coleman definitely can punch. He was huge at one thirty-five, um, and he's willing to face anyone, uh, pretty much. You know, he's he, he's 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 down for the smoke. And then, as far as Jose Pedraza is concerned, he can box. You know, he can counter punch. He can move. You know, he has a high boxing IQ. This fight is a fight in which both guys desperately need a win in order to maintain their status of fighting against the top level guys in the one hundred and forty-pound weight class. I think that Pedraza. He's shown me more, um, I think recently, and he just hasn't shown the ability to get victories over the top contenders, you know, like when he lost against Ramirez and Zepeda at 140. Now, I don't think that Richard Comey is on the level of a Zepeda and a Ramirez. Classic boxer-puncher matchup, Here, here's the keys of victory to me in order for either guy to win. I think for Pedraza, he's definitely going to have to utilize that jab. He's gonna have to counter punch, you know, use his timing. And he's going to have to time Komey, you know, when he's winging those shots. And and Pedroza likes to use that shoulder roll. And I think he can run Kome into some shots similarly to what Teofimo did. But he's not as powerful as Teofimo, but enough shots can go ahead and soften him up, you know, in a later part of the fight. And then the last thing that Padrazo is going to have to do is use angles, you know, and movement. And then um get Kome kind of off balance because sometimes we throw those wide sides he does get himself off balance if he does then make him pay you know Kome is kind of stiff a little bit now as far as Colme is for him to get a very good thing he needs to use his jab as well to set up the power sets you know lot kind of blind uh Pedraza and set him up for that big right and huge left hand that he has he has power on both hands But I think he has to use both hands as well and not just rely on one punch. You know, try to throw punches in combination. Don't necessarily look for the knockout. Just let it come. But make sure that you are constantly pressuring. And that goes to my last point that I need to make for Comey as far as him to get a victory. And that is he needs to make Pedraza uncomfortable. If he's just sitting there throwing one shot at a time, I think that Pedraza will be able to easily coast to victory if he's just that comfortable at, Kome fighting at the same pace so if he comes in there, kind of trying to rough him up you know throwing these shots throwing combinations you know sometimes winning some shots and they can catch him, you know kind of off guard then he'll have a better chance at victory. Now my prediction for this fight I think that has looked better in recent fights than Kome. is coming off that brutal uh, fight against Fasil Lomachenko a smaller man who's putting those paws on him and he's looked like his age and I, it looks like the wars are starting to catch up to him more so than Pedraza. Pedraza to me has looked better. You know what I mean? A very close fight against Ramirez. Great, a good fight against Cepeda. And overall, I just think he has the better skills. And you said it earlier, Bill, skills pay the bills. I think Comey is powerful, but very basic. And so I think that when it's all said and done, I got Pedraza by unanimous know, decision.
1: Vel, how do you think?
2: How do you predict Kome winning? I don't see him winning a decision, so it's probably a knockout. I'll say late knockout, but don't, don't bait me over that one. I have to, I gotta see them first. I gotta really, really dig into that
1: one. Hey, will he doing it again?
2: Come <laughs> on, oh, man. Y'all trying to make this official Man, I gotta, I gotta, I, I gotta really look at them. Them two guys got to look at. Wait, he's
0: asking for a prediction, so you can give you credit if you get three points, two points, one point, no point. That's all he's trying to do. It's not a trick question, sir. For the listeners.
2: Well, I'm, going, I'm going my brain in and say, say, uh, Pedraza by decision. All right. That's that. See, I could have did
0: that easily yesterday with Usy. Like, that would have been a safe bet. You know what I'm saying? But you got to go with your conviction, sir. You know what I'm saying? Go out on the land.
2: Well, my, bro- my brain didn't fail me yesterday when I, when I thought Usyk was going to win a decision.
0: He just totally changed the uh, support. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm telling you, man, I'm telling you, it's the gut versus the brain. Sometimes you like to go with your gut because you just feel something. My brain is analytical. It, even when I don't understand what I'm thinking, it makes sense. And I know it don't make sense, but it makes sense.
0: <laughs> so basically, you're the opposite of Alexander Usyk, who's a man of true belief and faith. You
2: know. Man, that dude uses brain in that ring, man. He uses the only thing is he uses brain on the fly, but he uses his brain in and that, in that ring too.
0: Okay, my bad, AJ. I mean I'll yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just mess with you bad.
1: For the listeners who wasn't aware, all year we've been kind of doing these predictions, but we've been taking a tally of them. And so we haven't figured exactly what's gonna happen at the end of the year for whoever wins, but we've been keeping a tally. And so that's that's what all that was coming from. But I'll give mine really quick on that note. They have pretty even records. They had pretty similar measurements. Pedraza has been at 140 longer. Like you guys said, I'm going to keep mine short and sweet. I think Pedraza has more tools in his toolkit. I think he's slick enough to avoid big, Komei's bigger shots, which is the majority of what gives him this chance here. And so I think that he will be able to withstand Komei's power. So I'm going to give it to Pedraza by decision as well. Thank you, sir,
0: for that uh, sound prediction. You know, I think we all understand where you're coming from. Do you guys have anything else to say before we wrap this one up? No, sir. Okay. Um, the last thing on the way out uh, for this particular episode, I know, Danny, I'm not sure, Bill, if you have any other platforms that you would like um, others to support. Or some of the followers of this podcast to follow and support as well um if you do if you don't mind you know sharing that information with those who are listening
2: no i really don't this is my boxing platform uh any other platform that i will probably be on or you might see me comment on it's way outside of boxing and in, the, in other avenues like you know movies and, and things of that nature so if you like horror movies, I have, there's a horror movie channel called Horror Movie Warriors, uh, led by one of the uh, women that I went to high school with. Then there's an a 80s movies podcast that I follow by my main man, Jake. It's called Jake Blaster Productions. I saw his last post. He, it was a, a the top 10 Nintendo games of the 1980s. Check that out. That's pretty much it.
1: Yeah, as for me, I have talked about my brand, Monarch. A few times on this platform, I actually recently just launched a podcast under the brand. Uh, what I am trying to do with that podcast, um, my own story with how that brand started, I kind of talk about that in the first episode. But my goal for the podcast is to sort sort of be a storyteller with entrepreneurs and those in the mental health field and self care and and just about community as well, because that's sort of what my brand stands on, and so. I have officially launched that. Again, the first episode is more so me just telling my story solo. But I posted the second episode where I'm talking with a friend that I had co-founded a startup with. I'm no longer a part of it, but he is. And uh, they're a multimillion dollar startup at this point. And so it was a very good conversation, I believe. And so I'll just continue to have guests on and we'll talk about a lot of different things under those realms. And so if you guys wanna check that out, If you go to podcast.themonarchbrand.com, you'll see those first two episodes and any episodes I post from here. All right, bet Yeah, so for me, what I would just say is to
0: stay tuned with us or in tune with us by following us on Last Ones at the Bar as far as Instagram. So if you just type that in, you'll see some of the things that we put out um, on there. And then every so often on Twitter, you know, you can follow us there. Um, I also want to shout out Ty Finney. Um, he's a gentleman who does a podcast or not necessarily a podcast, YouTube, a YouTube station where he invited me on this week. I was on there Tuesday and we talked about uh, numerous amounts of topics, uh, it was fun. Um, I just want to stretch us out where we are um, exposing ourselves more you know, to our knowledge that we have of the sport and get people to, you know, spread our wings, you know, if you will, you know, and, and always get it back to this particular podcast, because to me, this is my baby right here, you know what I mean? And I think it's all of our babies where um, this is kind of like we get, we got our start from, you know what I mean? So I always want to circle back to this platform um, because this is where it all started, but also, you know, reaching out to others who are like-minded. And Ty Finney is one of those people that I consider um, a good spirit. You know, anybody that has that uh, work ethic, anybody who has that love for the sport of boxing, I love to, you know, mix it up with them. Not necessarily go back and forth, but share ideas, see what their perspective is on certain things, and he provides that opportunity. He also wouldn't mind, uh, if you fellas wouldn't, you know, would would, would like to, you know, stop by there. But I plan on going on different stations, different networks, and then also inviting people to come and share their ideas with us. You know, I want to expand this thing. I told you, I think it was last year at the end of the year that I was saying, this year it was about branding, now it's about expanding. And I think that I look at it from a perspective of how you have like certain rappers or you have certain entertainers, it's their time where they take off and then they become what it is that you know them as you know the top level performer entertainer that they are for instance I just always think about guys like Master P I think of guys like Young Jeezy I remember when before they became who they were that when it was time for them to go ahead and make it to that next level you start seeing them on every feature like they'll be on this they'll be on that And then finally, it was to the point where they were that particular person that everybody else wanted to do features with. And so that's how I see us, you know what I mean? Like getting the information on as much as possible. But as far as Ty Finney is concerned, you can follow him um, at T-F-I-N-N-E-Y, and that's 3319. So that's T-F-I-N-N-E-Y, 3319, that's his channel. And he does um, a YouTube channel, it's live. Um, and, and so you can catch that, you know, Like I said, appreciate him for reaching out and asking me to come on. I had a really good time. Um, but that's that's how you can reach me, you know, or reach us, you know, at those different uh, on, on those different hammers. Anything else you guys have before we wrap things up?
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, ch- I checked him out. I checked out y'all podcast. Uh, it was enjoyable. Uh, I look forward to it. My, my main man, he wants to have me on and have us on. That's cool. We'll figure it out. <laughs>
1: Well, you said it beautifully, so I won't belabor, but we're all about expansion and just, you know, boxing is a craft. and We respect that craft, but we're all about getting better at our craft, too, as well as in terms of podcasting and and collaboration and community. And so uh, just stay tuned, folks. On that note, man, that was a
0: very good way to end it, Danny. So it's nothing much more that we can say. Uh, Hopefully you enjoyed it. Catch you next time. Peace. Peace.